Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton's LRT route is going to have to be modified. A new bill may force improvements at long-term care facilities. Many homes are now being sold well under their asking price. What will Pope Francis say on his visit to Canada next week? The Prime Minister isn't thinking about an election this fall, is he? And we introduce you to the newest member of the Cats. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. One is the main state conversion, completed state guidelines, additional cycling line infrastructure. So there are a number of uh, additional guidelines and motions we have. So we will continue to work with Metrolinx when we are defining the design. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. That's the voice of Abdul Shank, the director of Hamilton's LRT office, because staff yesterday presented a design update to the LRT subcommittee showing off how the 14-kilometer, 17-stop line is going to run from McMaster University to Eastgate Square. And what we know from yesterday's meeting is that, uh, you know, the, the recent decisions that are um, being made to make Hamilton streets safer for pedestrians and cyclists and motorists uh, are expected to have a significant impact on the design of the city's light rail transit corridor. So what is it ultimately going to look like? Let's ask our next guest. His name is Russ Powers. He's a counselor in Ward 5 for the city of Hamilton, and he joins us now. Russ, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Uh, we got the latest glimpse of the LRT design yesterday. What caught your eye? Um... The, the fact that how it's going to start to include the uh, the positioning that council has taken with regards to the zero tolerance and the uh, and the new road designs, in other words, uh, the two way traffic on 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 Main Street. And so there's a bit of a question mark there because we don't quite know how that's going to look yet. And that's uh, and that's probably going to put a bit of a wrinkle into the, uh, in the, into the whole planning. The plans are, or the plans were, to go to procurement process the end of this year with construction starting later next year, later 2024. So that may put it off a little bit while they incorporate uh, uh, the city's wishes and, uh, and the... Uh, design work in order to accommodate that. So does that little bit mean several weeks or several months or somewhere in between? Well, my ex, my my feeling is at least, hey, nothing in a project this magnitude goes a couple of days or a couple of weeks. It's probably a, a, a few months. But, um, you know, we, we're, we're still probably, you know, we're five months till the end of the year, maybe add a month or a couple of months on to the design process and then get out to procurement and push the uh, envelope in order for the, uh, the the vendors who are providing the services to get back. So I'm still thinking that we might start uh, the uh, construction late 2024, early 2025. Under the safety banner, is there any safety concerns regarding the positioning of the tracks? Because we saw yesterday that in some places of the city along the routes, the tracks are going to be next to the sidewalk. In other places, it's going to be in the middle of the roads. Um, what was the discussion regarding the placement of the tracks? I, I don't think there was any discussion about that. You know, anywhere there has been LRT, and I've, uh, I personally have witnessed them in, uh, what, Charlotte, Calgary, Portland, Lisbon, uh, I think, 
they, the, the safety designs are in place in order to move the pedestrian safely from, you know, curb to either the middle of the road or right to the sidewalk. So I don't think there's any concerns that way. There's proven designs that will uh, will encompass safety of moving the pedestrians to board and offload the uh, the trains. Is there a trickier part of the routes than than other parts? Um, I. For me, the trickiest part will be where it uh, transverses the 403 highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will go out on its own bridge. So as it comes off of uh, uh, comes off of uh, King Street, it will um, have to traverse on its own bridge to connect with Main Street, which, as as you know, doesn't line up perfectly. The two roads don't line up perfectly. So. That would be a bit of challenge. The other thing raised by Councillor Ferguson is the travel traffic at that particular junction. You know, how are they going to get off in order to get up to Ancaster or continue on to Dundas or whatever the case is? So staff uh, realizes they're a bit of a challenge, and I think that's one of the wrinkles that they're they're working on. A lot of details going into that to incorporate. Um, car travel along with ensuring that the uh, LRT travels in its most direct route. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ward 5 Councillor Ian Hamilton, Russ Powers, as we talk about the LRT and the updated design that was presented to the LRT subcommittee yesterday. When do you expect a final design to reappear before the committee? Um, I'm going to think early next year in view of the fact that you know the city's made the decision with regards to the safe roads and the uh, and the two-way. It postpones a little bit. I think the final design will show up to us late this year, early next year. And will Main Street have to be converted to two-way before any plan is agreed upon? Do you think? I don't think I don't think so. I mean, from you know where the LRT is running. Um, Along the route, you know, as you said, some of it is sidewalk loading, some of it is middle loading. I think those can take place and and be incorporated into the design. So uh, maybe yes, maybe no. We're not to that point yet. Russ, really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Rick. Bye. And as Russ Powers, he is the councillor in Ward 5 for the City of Hamilton as the LRT subcommittee yesterday presented with an updated design uh, showing how the 14-kilometer route, 17 stops along this route, is going to, well, traverse the city from McMaster University to Eastgate Square. And Russ mentioned it, the the bridge over the 403, because uh, that's really the only true area in which the LRT route kind of um, is a- any sort of distance away from an existing road. Uh, it kind of branches off there, goes across the 403, and then back onto Maine. That's going to be, well, interesting. How they figure it out, how they do it, that remains to be seen. But I'm, I'm sure it's in good hands. What, what I saw yesterday I thought was pretty interesting. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This led to a lot of pain and suffering for a lot of seniors and to deaths in some instances. So what this bill is meant to do is to prevent that from happening again. That is the voice of Liberal MP Hetty Fry on a proposed bill that would criminalize owners and managers of long-term care homes 
for failing to provide the necessaries of life to vulnerable adults. We know that over the last couple of years, plus, uh, since COVID-19 came to be, that long-term care facilities in this province across the country, uh, there have not been, not only have they been ravaged by the virus, there have not been any significant improvements to this broken system. Jane Midas is a lawyer in the, and an institutional advocate for the Advocacy Center for the Elderly and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jane, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. What is going to be different if this bill is passed? Well, I, I think there's a, there's a question. I'm not sure whether, you know, it's really just a clarification of uh, sort of the law that is right now. Um, I don't think there's anything in the law right now that prevents long-term care homes from being um, prosecuted. Uh, we've long said that, you know, in, in cases where, you know, people aren't getting proper care, if, people, if the homes aren't providing that care, they could be prosecuted. But I think that, uh, you know, it's something that's never really happened um, uh, or certainly not successfully. So I think it's a clarification of that. So with the, and I'm just painting a scenario here. There is uh, an elderly individual who's at a long-term care facility, is visited by family and loved ones, and, you know, something happens. Maybe there's an injury. Maybe there's a case of violence. Maybe there, you know, the conditions in the home have deteriorated. Um, where does that individual or family take their complaint? Does it go to the federal government, the provincial government? How does that work? Well, right now, that would it would depend on what it was. Um, right now, you can you know, bring a complaint about poor care. That would go to the um, Ministry of Long-Term Care, to their inspection process. You know, and if it's a criminal issue, so if it's someone has been assaulted or harmed in some way, of course, you would just go to the police. Um, in fact, there's mandatory reporting by the home um, of uh, you know, any sort of uh, abuse that would be a potential criminal matter to the police right now. To no one's surprise, we heard lots about appalling conditions in long-term care facilities early on in the pandemic. And I mentioned off the top, we haven't seen any significant improvements. Have we seen any improvements over the last two and a half years? Well, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, uh, you know, there certainly has been some changes around, you know, infection control protocols. That certainly has changed. I think, you know, and we're certainly, uh, the other thing that we're seeing, of course, is that people are no longer being admitted into two into more than two to a room. So those four bedrooms are slowly being gotten rid of um, over attrition. I think the biggest problem that we have right now, of course, is around the staffing uh, in long-term care and the fact that we still have so many older buildings and that, you know, really the, um, the, the staffing issue is a really huge problem um, because without the amount of staff, you're still uh, going to run into some of the same problems. You know, and and we have you know waves of COVID now going through the homes. Now, it most people in long term care homes are vaccinated, but you're putting people back into isolation. Um, you know, locking down floors again. Uh, you know, if you have family members or someone as a caregiver, they can come in. Um, that, so that is certainly a huge improvement. Um, but it really is restricting people yet again in long term care. Um, you know, so it's it's marginally better in some ways, 
Um, but the staffing shortage is a really big problem. No doubt about it. We're with Jane Medis, a lawyer and institutional advocate with the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly, uh, talking about a bill that would criminalize owners and managers of long-term care homes for failing to provide the necessaries of life to these vulnerable adults. We have about a minute. We know that uh, the Ford government promised rapid movement to mandate air conditioning in long-term care, yet amidst the latest heat wave, many facilities still don't have air conditioning. What gives and would this bill correct that? Uh, this bill would not correct that. The, the, you know, long-term care is definitely um, governed by the province. The problem with the homes that don't have it has to do with structural issues where these are the really old facilities where uh, they aren't able to put in the air conditioning, um, don't maybe have the uh, electrical infrastructure for that. Um, and it's a huge problem because it gets hugely hot there. But this law would uh, unlikely uh, have anything to do with that. Well, let's hope it uh, does pass because there are uh, many improvements that need to be made. Jane, really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Jane Metis, lawyer and institutional advocate with the Advocacy Center for the Elderly. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Canada's once white hot housing market has dramatically cooled off this year, so much so that many homes are being sold well under their asking price. Is that happening here in Hamilton? Let's ask one of the experts who's on the street selling homes. That's Phil Golfie, sales representative with Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team. Phil, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be on this morning. Are homes in Hamilton starting to sell at a discount? And you know what? A discount in comparison to what they were selling for in the first quarter of this year, absolutely. Home prices have are, are, are definitely selling at a discount. Um, and, and it was inevitable. Our housing market was rapidly increasing at a pace that was that was unlike any other uh, other housing market before. So there 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 are discounts on the market right now. There are deals on the market right now. And, and we're going to see this trend continue in terms of average sale price coming back. Um, and, and it's going to surprise a lot of people um, in terms of, you know, when the new numbers come out and the new stats come out of, of um, as, we, as we get into the middle of the year and, and, and into the fall, we, we've seen the, the average sale price dramatically fall and drop off in, in, in some areas. Um, let's, you know, if you, if you pay attention to what's going on on the Hamilton Mountain right now, the, the average sale price, is, is, is coming way back and way down. But, but that's a market that had this massive upward swing in, 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 in the first quarter of this year. We were seeing, you know, some houses have $150,000 average sale price go up. And, and now, you know, it was inevitable. And, and I think we're, we're seeing a little bit of a drawback now. And, and we're starting to see some discounted, discounted prices out there. And, and this goes across the board. There's a, there's a bunch of, um, you know, examples and scenarios of, of average price points coming down to a, to a certain point. But also, on the flip side, there's some really strong price points that are holding. If you look, at, if you look into Ancaster and you look at the two stories and one story is in Ancaster, those price points are holding. If you get into Burlington and you look at the Millcroft neighborhood and you look at the one stories and two stories there, those average sale prices are holding and, and holding strongly. So, we, uh, you know, we're going to get back to the <clears throat> location, location, location. And, and if you have a really nice home on, in a, on a really nice street in a nice neighborhood, there's going to be a really good market for that all the time. But we're starting to see, you know, some of the less de- desirable areas or, or what I'm going to call the swing areas. And we're seeing massive, massive 
uh, price depreciation uh, examples going on right now. We've heard the, and I'm sure many of our listeners have heard this, the term um, price correction. Because it was so hot during the first couple of years of the pandemic, are we seeing that price correction or is this just the the normal kind of swing back to uh, a balanced market? Yeah, I mean, it's a normal swing back to a balanced market. We we, we combine that with the, the hike in the interest rates, what's going on right now. And then you combine that again with the lack of consumer confidence in today's market. Those three items alone are, are a, a result of, of, you know, the, the what's going on in our real estate market. Um, we've seen a ton of new listings, uh, uh, inventory climbing, and not just climbing, but sitting. And then you combine that with with people, you know, chasing and chasing the market. Um, it's it's been a it's been a really stressful market for for sellers out there. Um, you know, the Federal Reserve they're meeting again on the 26th and 27th. And, and and you know, let's not think that those people don't talk to to the Bank of Canada. They're on record stating that they're going to have another interest rate hike um, down in the states, either um, 75 basis points to to one basis point again at the end of the month. Um, so we're going to hear about that and, and, um, at the end of July and, and, and then, you know, hopefully we have a soft landing here in the fall. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happened, what, what that does again to, to our housing market. And, and, and I'm not saying that, that we're going to, we're going to follow suit, but I, I, I do have this inkling and I do have this, this pre notion that, that we are going to see another, you know, interest rate hike as well. And, and then hopefully we come down to a soft landing sometime here in the fall, but, but I, I, I think it's going to get a little bit worse and, uh, before it gets better. Right now, in today's market, we're back to last year's pricing. We're dropped to September. Uh, depending on, on which neighborhood you are in right now, we're back to September 2021, 20, November 2021 pricing. We're going to continue to see it slide just a tiny touch. And that's, that's my opinion. We're going we're gonna to continue to see it slide. Rick, we've had people that, that have had offers and, um, you know, in the last four to six weeks weeks that that would have been described as lowball or laughable offers right and 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 offers that were just discarded to the side and and not pursued because because we you know sellers felt that it wasn't good enough or wasn't high enough to even entertain those sellers today wished they they either took that offer or they could have that offer back uh to to have a chance to uh to entertain it and 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 play with it so we're seeing a, a we're seeing, um, you know, it, we, we, a lot of people might describe this as we went through this in 2017. In my opinion, this is nothing like 2017. This is, you know, one of the biggest fall from graces I've seen in terms of a, in terms of a, a real estate market. And, and, and people are, are, are uh, you know, needing to adjust and, and having to adjust at a, a really fast pace. Uh, we got one more minute, Phil. Uh, CMHC predicting a three to five percent price drop by mid next year. If someone is sitting on the fence and determining whether or not they want to sell, should they do it now or should they wait because they'll have a better understanding of the market? Yeah, it, it, that's 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 a difficult difficult question to answer. Number one is everyone's situation is different. Now, here's what I'll say: is you're trading in the same market. If you're going to sell and you're going to go out and buy something. You're, 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 you're trading in the same market. This is, this is, this is our market. This is what's going to happen. Um, and, and, and in my opinion, if, if, if you were to sell and you're looking at going to buy something, you know, in the next six to eight months, I would sell now. I, I, I think that our market right now is, is still a really good market in terms of the seller's market. There's still active showings. There's still motivated buyers. 
And and one thing that you need to think about is there's people out there today right now that have a rate hold or a rate loss on, on a rate that they got maybe 60 to 90 days ago. Those people are motivated buyers because they want to get in with this new rate. They want to be able to buy a property with this new rate. So there's still, a, a, you know, a handful of buyers out there that are motivated that are looking to get into the market right now uh, because of their rate hold. So my recommendation would be sell now, and then you're going to go out there and find a deal um, when you when you go to purchase. Philip, appreciate the time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Awesome, Rick. Thanks for having me. That's Philip Golfie, sales representative with Remax's Cartman Realty, the Golfie team. More online at robgolfie.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Pope Francis says his trip to Canada next week is going to be, quote, a pilgrimage of penance. And he hopes it's going to contribute to the path of healing and reconciliation. And uh, as he says, heal the wrongs done to indigenous people by Roman Catholic priests and nuns who ran Canada's residential schools, the last of which closed unbelievably in 1996. What will come of this visit? What will be the key takeaways? Angela Belgarde is an Indigenous Reconciliation Strategy Manager with Our Kids Network and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Angela, good morning. Thanks for coming back on the show with us. Hi, it's always a pleasure. Good morning, everybody. We know that Pope Francis is going to visit Alberta, Quebec, and Nunavut between this coming Sunday and July the 30th. He's scheduled to deliver what we've heard, nine homilies, um, two masses. What do you expect to hear from him on this trip? Well, the Pope, uh, dignitary of this caliber, you know, he really has a very jam-packed schedule. But what I expect to hear is, again, a very meaningful reflection and heartfelt acknowledgement of the atrocities that have occurred to First Nations people in Canada. Um, you know, residential schools are were a deliberate and systemic way to take the Indian out of the child, and I use air quotes there. Um, and, you know, this is very historical and a meaningful time in Canada. I think um, the Roman Catholic Church understands that. And, you know, I really do see that there'll be all the pomp and ceremony that typically comes with the dignitary of this caliber. But um, I think we'll also see words that will help so many people start on their healing journey. He's also promised to apologize while on this trip, and I'm sure... That is going to be a moment uh, for many Indigenous people that they've been waiting a long time for. You're absolutely right. You know, and some people wonder what the power of an apology really is all about. And, you know, I did reflect upon this last time you and I spoke, Rick, and wrote a blog about it on our Kids Network website. And it really does an apology mean anything. And for many, many, many First Nations people out there, it really does mean a lot. Because the shame and the the pain that occurred to them deliberately and systemically again, is still with them, and and they need to heal from that. So that heartfelt, authentic apology, intentional apology, is going to be an important step for them. Others may not care, may not mean anything to them, but for so many, it is going to be such an important part of healing themselves and to begin to, as a country, heal together. Angela Belgard is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Angela is with the Our Kids Network, and we're talking about the Pope's upcoming trip to Canada, in which he calls it a pilgrimage of penance in relation to Canada's residential school system. 
does he have to because people will take an apology differently whether it's in person or or watching a news report on TV that the, hey the pope has apologized do you think he has to do it on each and every one of his stops to in those three provinces I absolutely think he does you know your people will look at this um, from many different aspects and you know as much as we're going to be listening to his words for that heartfelt and intentful meaning, I would really encourage people to to focus as well on the words of our First Nations leader and the faces of the First Nations survivors. And you will see the importance of these words. Now, of course, there's probably going to be protesters and, you know, people are going to say that the, the Roman Catholic Church has not done enough. Uh, and, you know, that is up for debate, and I have my own opinions about that. But what is really important is the residential school survivors and what this means to them in Canada. And, you know, the theme of this visit is walking together. And that very much means that we walk side by side. So, yes, apologize once, apologize twice, apologize as much as it is needed for po- people to really heal from those atrocities. Um, it is, you know, in, in the spiritual looking at uh, the religious like a penance but you know so many people have been living to this day uh the pain and are living with that that they cannot heal so when people say let's just get over this and move on not so easy for the people who had to live those atrocities as we know the pope is making what he calls the pilgrimage of penance over here in canada starting this sunday and um, throughout the last week of july do you expect a large pilgrimage amongst the indigenous population to the events that he is going to be visiting absolutely i just had the opportunity to speak with a family member uh, yesterday and i know that many of my family members will be traveling from saskatchewan up to edmonton um, I know my First Nation has, you know, put out for some time now, who wants to go, let's get you registered, and let's prepare for this journey. So this is very meaningful. It is historic. This is an important time in Canada's history. Everybody needs to be paying attention to this. We are in a truth and reconciliation era in Canada, and this is a very important step for us to move together uh, and forward respectfully with mutual understanding uh, as a country, as the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has called us to do. We have another 90 seconds with Angela Belgard, Indigenous Reconciliation Strategy Manager with Our Kids Network, as we talk about the Pope's upcoming visit. Many people have said that this visit is going to be monumental, the apology is going to be in a lot, but it's only a first step. There has to be some next steps. What can some of those next steps look like? Well, next steps are, one, understanding the truth. I think that uh, people still do not, in Canada, still have not taken the steps to learn about the treatment of Indigenous people in Canada and what that has meant. So that needs to happen. But we need to put a lot of resources, um, and I don't necessarily mean money, but we need to put a lot of focus on helping those residential school survivors who are still struggling uh, with what happened to them. And as you said, Rick, this is not ancient history. This is recent history. This is in all of our lives, lifetimes here, that we need to understand more about the truth, to learn how, what the impact of the truth is of those residential schools. And then we need to mutually have respect to work together to build a better Canada as uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Committee has told us. But a lot of healing has to do. A lot of the pain that residential school survivors 
uh, our feeling is, is still there. So we do need to focus. This is about the residential school survivors and the atrocities that they had faced and to really begin to support and understand what they've gone through. Absolutely, what they've gone through and the generational impact today. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's still a lot to do. This is a, a step on the journey, and it's an important step. And so I encourage all of the, your listeners out there to, to really not only just pay attention to the Pope and his words, but also to those residential school survivors and to the uh, healer or the Indigenous leaders out there who are, um, you know, what their words are, because they will reflect the truth of the history in Canada. Well said. Angela, always appreciate your time. Thanks for speaking us uh, with us this morning, and enjoy the rest of your day. Always a pleasure. Thank you. That is Angela Belgard from Our Kids Network. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Our focus every step of the way, and Canadians right across the country in every province will understand this, is making sure that that those dollars that we put in deliver real, tangible results for Canadians. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau commenting on health care transfer payments to the provinces. You've heard of the tug of war between the premiers and the federal government. You've probably also seen the PM, well, with his new haircut. That went viral for some odd reason. Shaking hands, kissing babies, flipping pancakes at the Calgary Stampede. He has been out and about and has led to some thinking that a fall election might be on the way. Would the PM dare trigger an election this fall? Well, Brian Lilly writes about it in the Toronto Sun. He's a columnist with The Sun and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Brian, good morning. How are you? Uh, Good morning, Rick. Yeah, I'm one of the people who didn't think that we could see a fall election and now looking at the way things are aligning i'm in the it's a very real possibility camp my gosh in your latest column in the sun why trudeau might be eyeing an early election this fall you write that trudeau's schedule feels more like an election campaign than a summer tour what is making you think that well the man is everywhere as you said from the calgary stampede flipping pancakes. He was in Milton planting a tree, went to Sudbury to plant a tree. He toured the eastern townships in Quebec. Um, He's off in Kelowna in the B.C. interior yesterday. Not sure where he's going to be today. He's not taking many questions. I think the only time last week that he actually took questions from the media was at an announcement with the Ontario government in Kingston about a new plant to build parts for an electric vehicle battery plant. So, you know, he's he's very much like in campaign mode. Now, look, this can happen with all uh, politicians in the summer. I remember summer 2021, Ontario Premier Doug Ford was accused of looking like he was in campaign mode. And is he going to go early? Ford had no reason to go early uh, in summer 2021. He had a majority government, didn't need to, to pull the plug. Trudeau's in a minority situation. His minority dance partner, Jagmeet Singh is uh, making noises about being unhappy with the Liberal government. And the Conservatives are about to pick a new leader. So you've got a weak NDP that's making noises about how their relationship with the PM isn't what it should be. You've got uh, the Conservatives picking a leader who won't have time to get their feet wet before a potential November uh, vote. 
And all of a sudden you think, okay, could this happen? Add in the fact that the economy is facing some pretty strong headwinds, some storm clouds up above, and COVID numbers are going to rise. It does give the PM a real possibility to say, you know what, let's go. We'll beat the economic downturn. Uh, we'll beat the you know, problems that come with the uh, ongoing cost of living crisis Canadians are facing before they get really grumpy. And we'll campaign against this new conservative leader who has one view of COVID against Trudeau's vision of COVID at a time when numbers are going to be going up, which they undoubtedly will in the fall. Uh, we've got about a minute left with uh, Brian Lilly, columnist with the Toronto Sun. What's the one pro that would work in the Prime Minister's favour, and what's the one con that would go against him for calling an election? Well, the one con would be he could lose. Um, <laughs> and the one pro is he could win a big majority. So I, I think what he's going to be doing over the next while is looking for what uh, Lucien Bouchard and the, the separatists in Quebec used to call the winning conditions. If it makes sense for him, he'll go. If it doesn't, he won't. Um, you know, so if the, the polls are kind of iffy right now. Latest poll has the Liberals at 32% popular support, the Conservatives at 28 but a bunch taken just before that had the Conservatives with a slight lead. So nobody's in great shape at the moment, but could Trudeau win a majority? Absolutely. Could he lose it all? Absolutely. So stay tuned. Yeah, well, we'll see the roll of the dice if it happens. Brian, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Brian Lilly, columnist with the Toronto Sun. Could we see a fall election? That's probably the last thing we want to see. Let's just enjoy the summer, can we? You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Fresh off winning their first game of the season, the Tiger Cats have made a move. They've hired former Montreal Alouettes head coach Kahari Jones as a football operations consultant. Here to talk about it is the head coach and president of football operations, Orlando Steinhauer. Oh, how are you? I'm doing great, Rick. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Ticats fans want to know why. Why Kahari has been brought on board. What led to this decision? Well, I think anytime there's a resource available out there uh, with that type of experience, it's always worth exploring. Um, I don't think you can have enough great people in the building. And I think in a case like this, this is a, it's simply a case of adding value to value. Uh, we already have an offensive coordinator. We've having a full offensive staff. Uh, this is a chance to bring in somebody with a, a huge amount of experience uh, with the Canadian Football League. Obviously, it'll be a great value to me, uh, to Mark uh, on the defense, to Tommy on offense, and also to Craig Butler on special teams. Um, most of the time when there's experience like this, they're all under contract. Uh, they're a head coach somewhere else. They're a coordinator somewhere else. They're on other staffs. And when you have uh, somebody that's a, as quality a person as Kahari out there, this just made sense for us. As you mentioned, there haven't been too many head coaches over the years who've been fired by their team during the season, then join a new team a couple of weeks later. Is this an acquisition that you simply couldn't pass up? Well, yeah, I think that's what I was alluding to. It's just, and it's not, you know, there's got to be a fit. This isn't something that I, I woke up and said, yeah, we're doing it. This is, uh, it's got to fit internally. Uh, as much as things may look like they make perfect sense from the outside in or, or maybe even optically, you got to make sure there's a fit. There's there's a, an environment that we've worked hard to create here. There's a culture that we've created. And it's it's important that you find the right people to join your team uh, versus just always hiring the right experience to do the job. And I think that's uh, overlooked oftentimes. So uh, it had to be a fit for both people. 
and and that's for Kahari and for us internally. And um, you know, I had a, a talk over with the coaching staff before we moved forward. This wasn't an overnight thing, and uh, we were satisfied that this was something that could complement us. And uh, like I said, selfishly, he'll be a big help to me personally. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Tiger Cats head coach and president of football operations, Orlando Steinauer. We're chatting about the addition of Kahari Jones as a football operations consultant. How long is it going to take for Kahari's knowledge and influence to be felt throughout the team? Is it going to have an immediate impact? Is this something that's going to be through osmosis over the next couple of weeks? What does your gut tell you? Uh, it's right now it's a work in progress. It's, there's no set time that by this we're going to do this. Um, I'm just want him to feel comfortable, feel the building, get acclimated. Uh, when called upon, you know, we will lean on him. He'll be watching practice, um, you know, out there on at the field. And he'll also, you know, be in meetings. And you got to kind of get acclimated to it versus just saying, here, this is, this is what I did. This is what I believe in. Um, this is going to be a process. And he's open to that. And he's going to, you know, he's going to learn a lot too, uh, a different way to do some things. And then we're going to pick his brain and, and uh, I just think that it's going to be a, a great mutual um, agreement and situation. And so I don't have a cookie cutter model that uh, you should feel it in, you know, two weeks, uh, one day, four games. Uh, I just know he's an, a very valuable and uh, welcomed addition. You earned your first win of the season on Saturday. Did you get a sense of a, a renewed vigor, a jolt of enthusiasm from the players and coaches as you get set to visit BC this Thursday? Well, let's let's keep it uh, real here that the locker room's always different after a win. Uh, I think what I'm most proud of is despite everything we went through early, I didn't there was there wasn't any division. Was there frustration? Of course, that's a natural emotion. But people just rolled up their sleeves and went to work, put a smile on our face, remained positive. Uh, they, they bought in. They they wanted to be better. They were willing to put the work in, and just super proud that we were put in a similar situation that we had been in uh, in the four previous weeks. And we, this time, we found a way to finish. So super proud of everybody involved, from the equipment to therapy to the coaches that prepped, and of course the players uh, who play and make the biggest difference. The CFL schedule makers didn't do you guys any favors this week. You have a short week. You're crossing the country. It's against the team that's coming off the bye. I know you and the team are going to be ready. Coming off a big win is a short week a good thing or a bad a bad thing? We knew this was on the schedule. We're looking forward to it. Like it's, um, there's really no comment to it except for it is what it is. Yeah, that's great. Those are the facts, and you know, not dodging them and. You know, they're coming off a bye and, and we're we're coming off a, a football game and we're traveling across the country. And so it's perfect. You know, I'm, I'm ready just to embrace it. I know we all are. And let's go. They're going to kick the ball off regardless, Rick. And that's kind of what we always say. Ready or not, healthy or not, uh, they're going to kick the ball off and Hamilton will be ready. Coach, I'll always appreciate your time. Best of luck in B.C. And we'll talk to you down the road. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.